Welcome to the Peach and Black Podcast, your central place to hear unofficial news, reviews, trivia, and intelligent discussion on all things happening in the Prince world. Featuring the hosts, MC. You know, it's got all those classic Prince elements. Captain. Why wouldn't you just record as much as you could? Player. It's just like a story chest of ideas. Toe Jam. Either version. I love both versions. Other special guests. Hi, this is Larry Grant. And you're listening to the Peach and Black Podcast. Hi, this is Ricky Peterson, and you're listening to the Peach and Black Podcast. What's happening, Australia? This is Tony M from the New Power Generation. You're listening to the Peach and Black Podcast. Hey, everybody, this is St. Paul Peterson, and you're listening to the Peach and Black Podcast. Hi, this is Eden Nelson. You're listening to the Peach and Black Podcast. Hello, 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 and welcome back to the Peach and Black Podcast. We've got the whole crew here again, once again, for your listening pleasure. In 2017, we're about to go deep once more. Seven inches deep. <laughs> there he is. <laughs> Toe Jamie beat me to the punch. Uh, we've got Toe Jam, we've got Player. Sugar on a candy cane. And, of course, we have Captain. Oh, I can't even say anything. This I want to do a quote from a certain track, but there's just too many and I couldn't pick one, I got so one. we'll just wait Cap- till we get Captain there. Captain right now is tall, stiff and ready, wearing his blue jeans, reading science magazines. <laughs> <laughs> Something you prepared earlier. Beautiful, I love it. Oh, yeah. Wow. And, what uh, a vision. Yeah, yeah. Try and get that out of your mind while you're listening to us... Um, no. Talk about this album oh review. <laughs> and uh, Rob S here. It's my pleasure to be back again with the guys and presenting another episode. This is our first show for 2017. Peach and Black podcast oh, still yeah, going strong. And uh, after the incredibly crazy year. Uh, garbage. The in- garbage is the word you're looking for. Incredibly garbage year of 2016. Yeah, that it was. And uh, it'll be a year none of us will ever forget for obvious reasons. But we're moving on now. We're doing our best to move on in the best possible way. And um, but this that is the means... tribute. Yeah, that's it. So we're here to talk about... We're moving on by talking about the past. <laughs> and we're going way back. You've got I mean, to go backwards today... before you can go forwards. <laughs> We're, we're starting with uh, an album review for our 2017 uh, kickoff show. And today's album is Vanity Six, the first and only album released by uh, the group Vanity Six, which was a group put together by Prince. And this album came out late in 1982. I want to say August of 1982 and pretty much produced entirely by Prince. You know, it got the typical Prince treatment, you know, composed, arranged, really performed instrumentally anyway by Prince. And then he's got some uh, female vocals over the top we of all the music. We should say under the guise of the star company. Oh, Jamie Star. <laughs> That's right. Who could that be? Uh, have you seen those couple of photos that have come out in the last, yeah. I don't know, in the, probably in the last year? There's a few photos of him as Jamie Star, and they're just classic, hilarious photos. There's a couple with Morris Day, and uh, there's just great photos. I thought they were fake at first. I'm like, that doesn't look like Prince at uh, all. But then you're like, him, oh, wait, it's him. They're great photos. I love them. And it's funny. I have. I don't know whether they've been re- around before or whether they just came out recently. You know, relatively recently. I certainly hadn't seen them before, so I don't know if they were circulating or not. If you haven't <laughs> yeah. seen it, we should we should say the pictures basically like Prince and Morris Day like on the mixing desk, 
they've got like cash and cigarettes spread out everywhere. And then there's like a centerfold <laughs> of vanity in a penthouse or something. <laughs> it's hilarious. Pure purple pimpness, basically. <laughs> it's fantastic. And uh, that was exactly around the time when, pardon the pun, Prince was putting together the Time Project, his own uh, 1999 funk magnum opus, and this album, Vanity Six. So it was the triple threat year. You had three albums, you had three acts, you had the triple threat tour where all three artists came out. Duke Khan and Larry Graham. <laughs> just like that it. Was, just that like was, it. Oh, yeah, it was a threat, actually. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I want to be free. <laughs> oh, fantastic. Fantastic times. We'll, we'll get to the 1998 era in another episode, I'm sure. Maybe we can talk about some of the live performances that, that were occurring around that time. But that's for another day, possibly another show. But we'll get into that later. Vanity oh. Six. The album, eight tracks of music that we're about to go uh, into in our typical Peach and Black fashion where we dissect the songs, the music, the lyrics, and everything else in between. So before we go into track number one, which is Nasty Girl, any other random comments or remarks that anyone has around this era around um, what Prince was doing at the time? Okay, Captain, shoot. I hadn't listened to this album up until about two weeks ago. I'd only listened to it probably once or twice in my entire life. I would have listened to it when I first found out about it, which was however many years ago, and then maybe once again at some point, and never bothered to listen to it again. And then about two weeks ago, when we're going to review it, oh, I listened to it a lot, and I can't believe I didn't listen to it for so long, because one of the songs on here is now like one of my favorite songs ever. It's just oh, unbelievable. Geez. Actually, I just, I never, it never occurred to me. I'm, I'm surprised that this isn't like your number one album. Like You love all that Japanese... <laughs> Like girl pop stuff, and this is like you know Prince's equivalent of that stuff. It's very pop. There's some there's some good stuff on here. We'll get to it. So uh, the only thing that I've got to add before we go into the song by song reviews is just how prolific he was. And you know we've spoken about this in past episodes, and I kind of mentioned it a second ago when I spoke about the Triple Threat year of 1982. I guess where you had Prince releasing his own album, the Time album, and then this album. It must be mentioned that this has to be one of the most prolific years, and there are others, but certainly one of the most prolific years in his history as far as recording music and putting projects together. And, you know, this project was basically a vanity project, again, exactly. pun, because <laughs> it was his version of his alter ego or or his, the feminine side of his ego, I should say. Um, the time was his alter ego, I guess, but to a large degree. But this is... Quite remarkable that, and at the time, many people may not have known how involved Prince was. You know, he didn't have the internet back in 1982. So I'm sure that people picked up this record and may have had literally no idea that it was um, a, a Prince-associated artist project, which is kind of crazy. one thing to what you said there. Yes, it was a very prolific year, but also it's obvious to me, that doesn't mean it's true, but it's obvious to me that this album and the first time album, as prolific a year as it was, and all these albums came out at some points, I can hear it's he's stretching it pretty thin. There's like the bare hint of a song <laughs> in some songs, and it's like oh, I've got to fill an album. So, but you compare that to like 1986, another super prolific year, and everything was amazing, and every song was a lot better than some of these. 
Yeah, it may not be pound for pound the greatest year in his history, but it's got to be up there. This was at a point in time where he hadn't hit superstardom yet. And now we can go back and look at this record that we're about to talk about in the context of everything we know about him and his life and, and his musical you know, adventures. But crucially, much of the context that I'm going to be reviewing these songs in is this is another side of Prince, basically. And I'm sure all of us, you know, know that and, and they're going to talk about that. But I just thought it, for anyone who's maybe a little less knowledgeable about the Vanity Six project, that's a cornerstone. of. It's not just another album by, by a girl band. It's basically Prince creating a female version of his, you know, musical signature. Yeah, this, this album degree. goes in the official discography yeah. for me, yeah. along with the Time albums, all the first three anyway. So, as remarkable as it is... I just want to say one more thing before you keep going. I don't know if this is true, but I read this. I read a whole bunch of reviews of this album, and I don't know if this is true or not, but it said in his initial deal, which initial deal must mean, like, the, you know, 77, that he, Prince, negotiated with Warner Brothers a clause that allowed him to recruit and produce side projects for, for Warner Brothers. He was thinking about that stuff when he signed his first contract. Are you kidding me? Again, I yeah. don't know if it's true, but if that is, that is just insane. That is, he yeah. would have been, what, 19 Before at the time? Before he'd even done his first album, he'd, already, he'd probably already planned like the first few. And yeah, I'm going to do this and I'm going to get girl groups and I'm going to do all this stuff. That's insane, if that's a true fact. That is crazy. Surprise me, because isn't that yeah. part of the reason why he chose Warner Brothers? Because they were offering him multiple album contract and this sort of thing. Yeah, he did um, get a, a few offers, but not on the... I think Warner's... Yeah, the Warners had the most freedom or something, or the, mm. like, yeah, less constrictions or something in it, yeah. Yeah, I think the yeah, other ones yeah, were didn't. were less interested in him producing himself. Like, they were giving him all oh, this yeah, yeah, cash yeah. and all this stuff and so, saying, yeah, everything's great with one little caveat. We want, you know, Maurice, I mean, Maurice White. We're having Warner our Brothers, producer, but, yeah. Yeah, I think the, the rumor go, or the legend goes that one of the other labels, and I can't remember exactly which one, said, we're going to give you this upfront advance for this many albums, but we want, um, who's the bass player for Earth, Wind & Fire? Verdine, Verdine. Yeah, Verdine, yeah. Yeah, so Verdine um, to produce, and uh, he refused. And then Warner Brothers tried the same trick, but obviously Mo Austin got in the way and said, no, you know, you can do it all. Once they saw him lay Why down tracks in the studio. Morris White himself, I thought. Yeah, I was thinking Morris White. Oh, hmm. who knows? Nah. We're Someone knows. Anyway. Yeah, we are up top. Tommy. Tommy Vercola or something. I don't I can't remember. Look, it's a good point that you raise about the fact that um, side projects were supposedly written into his initial contract. That's crazy if it's true, which we should do a bit of digging and find out how accurate that one is. More, but, one, um, one more thing. I've got more. Like you said, this was released August 82, and this was just two weeks before What Time Is It? The first album by the time came out, and just two months before Monster 1999. So that's, that's pretty tricky. Yeah. And the vinyl. Here's, here's one for you, MC. The vinyl. It had side one and side six on the other side because of Vanity Six. Ha <laughs> <laughs> ha. Very good. Genius. Well, shock horror. I don't own this on vinyl format, so I wouldn't have known oh, that. I'm sure That's you could scrape cool. up a thousand bucks to pick up That's an original cool. copy. So actually, you know what? Just before we go into track number one, I'm thinking of something else we should probably throw out there to the fans that may not be aware of it. Vanity Six, the name. Everyone knows what the six stands for, right? <laughs> You're oh, going to go there, are you? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just is saying. It, is it boobies? <laughs> well, it certainly ain't testicles. So. 
Unless <laughs> <laughs> Prince oh, has been are. hiding a deep dark secret all those years. <laughs> we are back to classic, classic teach in black form. I'm loving every minute of it. Very good. Well, you know what? Vanity right. six let's pack. Not, <laughs> let's, let's not get too off topic. Uh, there's so much we could talk about without getting into the music at all. So why don't we just do what we do? Originally, best. Prince wanted to call them the hookers. So I read. <laughs> That's true. That's very true. Wasn't he also going to call them vagina six or something? Mm. That was another option. Yeah. Probably mm. a little bit too uh, obvious. Yeah, <laughs> he, was go- yeah. he was going for it. All the great names. Could have called and them he had names. pussy control. He had pussy control and he called them Vanity Six. <laughs> <laughs> Technically, if he would have went with that one play, he could have shortened the name to v- V3 or something. But no, that's probably not. <laughs> Track one. <laughs> yeah, we are, we are, we are definitely uh, out of our comfort zone now. All right. Let's go into the album. Track number one is the single, and uh, without a doubt, the best-known track off this record. It is, of course, Nasty Girl, or Nasty Girl for our American listeners. Take it away, player. Okay, Nasty Girl. To me, like, if anyone asked me what... If someone had to say to me, can you define what the Minneapolis sound is? Like, I would pick one of these, this song as like one of the tracks to kind of display that example because all the elements are there. You, it opens with that classic Lindrum. It's got the cool rhythm guitar. It's got the Oberheims, which are layered and sounds really fat. And then on the other end, you've got like the high-pitched piano tinkling, kind of like Jimmy Jam-esque. There was a Red Bull Academy thing with Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis, and Terry Lewis talks about having the the heavy bottom, and Jimmy Jam talks about having the pretty top, and that's what it sounds like, the pretty top, like the piano part. And just like the experimentation that Prince was doing with it, with like the Oriental-esque riff in the middle of it, it's really cool. And I also like the lyrics and just the delivery of the lyrics as well. For example, when... It goes into the chorus where she could have said, you know, tonight, but instead she goes, tonight. Just really cool little things like that. It's just, it's really hot track. Like, it, it doesn't even sound like it come from 1982. It just, like, sounds really futuristic. And it's, like, one of my favorite songs. Even just, even if you took the lyrics out of it, just, like, as an instrumental, it's, it's an amazing piece of work. It just sounds really raw. It's a really cool song. I love it. Awesome. Uh, Toe Jam, what are your thoughts? I have to agree. I think this song is worthy of anything that Prince has done. I think it could have fit on, like, in terms of quality, it's it's up there with the rest of the 1999 tracks, which uh, I'm sure everybody knows is my favourite Prince album. Exactly the same as what? Player. The first thing I had written, <laughs> 1999, it's my favourite Prince album. I knew that. First thing, just as, as Player had written, Classic Lynn, exactly the same. It's so full and interesting and little bits and bops through it through that drum machine pattern, and it's so clean as well, that drum. The only one that I can think of that's similar is a time B-side called Mo Jerkout from the Pandemonium. Oh, yeah. The Mo Jerkout single, which had an instrumental of the track, and that was really clean and crisp and funky guitars as well. So if you like the Lin on Nasty Girl, check that one out if you can find it. Nasty Girl has this descending piano line, and uh, it sort of emphasizes this sort of sweet girl kind of sound, which sort of is a theme throughout the album. It's got all this funky bass and funky drums, but there's all these like little sweet kind of girly, so to speak, sounds. I love the fact that everything's kind of on the one, like splat on the one with the synths and the uh, the chorus. It's really cool. Vanity to me sounds really horny, just the way she delivers <laughs> the vocal. She does. I mean, I'll go there. I mean, Vanity strikes me as the kind of person that would just be really horny. Um, 
I'm not saying that's a turn on or a turn off. I'm just saying that's the way it comes across. So. It's a turn on, Jam. It's a turn on. <laughs> you know, the, some of the funniest lyrics in here, the, the seven inches or more that I referenced earlier. I mean, that's hilarious. Everyone knows seven inches, you know, the records, the singles were seven inches um, wide. So, you know, implying that she needs seven inches or more has this play on the, you know, is she talking about a record or is she, or is she playing, singing about something else? It ends with this big chant. Ooh, it's time to jam. Dance, nasty girl, dance. And um, a lot of the songs from this era have that sort of chant at the end, like party up and cool. Oh, he and, loved um, the chants in the, the early yeah, years. Yeah. And I like the fact it's really kind of setting it up for this triple threat tour where each band has like a chant that they do. Uh, really cool. This is just classic Minneapolis sounds, classic prints. It's as good as anything else he's ever done. It's a great, funky track. Yeah. The video. The video is awesome. I love the video. Is that because of the horniness factor as well? Possibly? I mean, I can't, I can't deny it. Like, you know, they're wearing these sort of smooth, nice clothes, and then halfway through the video, they walk to the side, come back in, and just like not much, <laughs> looking not much lingerie, fishnets, and everything. It's like, oh, that, that's the era. Like '82, that's the era for the look. <laughs> Hashtag not much lingerie. Yeah. <laughs> the album cover, just what you, with regards to what you were just talking about, the album cover itself is is more pared back and it's not as revealing but the single cover artwork is mm. nasty mm. <laughs> it is it's exactly it's basically the picture that you just painted so um yeah i have to admit i'm i'm like you toe it's certainly one of those songs like princess has a lot of i don't know if you can call them turn on songs but songs that are obviously about sex and, and salacious and kind of um you know just nasty funk songs but this one is probably the nastiest in the sense that it's number one a woman singing a, a woman singing lines that he wrote, undoubtedly, but a woman nonetheless singing these songs. And um, how could you not be turned on as a listener, especially as a guy? And I'm not saying only guys are going to get turned on here, but just speaking on behalf of myself, it's pretty direct. Like the lyrics are, they're not nondescript. They're like really descriptive of exactly what she's talking about, what she's thinking about and, you know, what she wants to do. So um, listen to seven inch single versions, obviously. Sugar um, on a candy cane. <laughs> you got that right. You see, like that's that's the thing. I think, like, in in Prince's mind, like, because he's not fronting this project, like, he was sort of seeing how far he could push the boundaries, you know, mm. with like these side projects, you know, because it's it's really out there, especially for that time as well. So you know, you know how far he could push that boundary and how much that's he could get away with. That's actually a really interesting point that you mentioned because, you, especially about how early it was in. In the mu- musical world, I guess. Yeah, this when is like looking- pre-Madonna, or like Madonna was just breaking out at that time with like Borderline and stuff. But you know, she's like the precursor to like the Madonna era kind of thing. Mm. But yeah, Vanity. <laughs> actually, that's another good point. Vanity is yeah. basically a precursor to Madonna, right? In many ways. Yeah, and even Madonna adopted you know the lingerie thing for like a virgin and stuff. Like you know, mm. she, she bit a lot of her style off that. You know. Oh, she, she stole it. Madonna yeah, stole it. If you think about it, she did. The funny thing is both Vanity and Apollonia, despite the fact that they're trying to play this kind of sex goddess thing, there's kind of something country about them, which is like, it's kind of funny, (laughs) but it's also, it sort of, it makes it a bit more tongue in cheek and a bit more naive and a bit more humorous. It's not like, it's not like it's just, oh, we're just these sex goddess monster things. It's like, no, there's a little bit of like, it's a bit more, it's a bit more playful than than a lot of the Madonna stuff, I think. Yeah. Yeah, it's. And I don't know why, but it just, it has a slightly different tone, doesn't it? And you know what? Probably because it's coming from Prince's mind. It's coming from through from the point of view of a guy in some really roundabout way. Like, you know, this is a female 
vanity project written by a male person, whereas Madonna's obviously was was female centric or much more influenced by the female side. I, I don't know. I don't know whether that makes sense, but possibly. But I was going to say, um, don't have a lot to add because you guys really have described it so well. But I will say it is a nasty song. It's just really nasty, minimalist funk, a lot of sense of humor in the lyrics and the delivery. And it's as hot of a song as this is. It's also kind of, Tojem used the word playful, and it's kind of funny as well. Like it's weird how it, it doesn't come across as sleazy, which is really, I would imagine, would be really difficult to write a song like this and not come across as a complete sleaze bag. But it comes <laughs> across sexy as heck, I think, uh, with a couple of questionable lyrics. But it's sexy as heck is my um, overall summary. You guys have mentioned the drumlin programming and the Minneapolis sound elements, so I won't go into that. But this song is as fine as Vanity, basically, as fine as she was back in the day. There's not a lot more I can say other than classic Prince and classic pop single, funk pop single. Captain. Yeah, this this is it. It's, I'll just repeat the word that I've heard about eight times already. It's it's the classic track. Got good old Lindrum all over it. Uh, I really like the keyboards and the synth stabs in there. Like Player said, you know, if someone wants to hear, you know, what's the Minneapolis sound, just play him this song. This is this is the start of it. Before uh, the chorus, there's this cool little keyboard riff for a second. I like that. Oh, yeah, that's uh, awesome, man. It's just this little thing, yeah. but it's oh, it's yeah. good. And I love that weird interlude at 308. It's just it's so Prince. Like now that we you know know the things yeah. that he does, that was like a really early thing. And you're like, when you first heard that, you would have been like, what the hell is this? But you listen to it now, and you're like, of course he did that. That's what he does. <laughs> just that weird thing. There's some funky key and synth parts in the last minute or so. That's really good. And wasn't wasn't there some Britney Spears song which everyone said was the same as this? Yeah, slave. I, for I remember you. that when it happened. What was it? Slave for you. Ah, uh, I don't think. I remember that when it came out. It everyone's sounded. like, "Oh, it's just the same song." I yeah. don't think that song sounds. Maybe someone can correct me, but I don't think "Slave for You" sounds that. I kind of remember it. <laughs> Yeah, I can't remember it that well, but I can't remember it sounding identical, that's for sure. It was going for the same sort of idea and feel, but mm. quite poorly, if you ask me. Not as successful. And, oh, yeah, and, and also, in the title of Slave For You, she, she used, like, the number four and the letter U. So mm. that was, again, that was the big tip off everyone's law. Oh, look, she even ripped off Prince's writing the numbers like that and the letters. Oh, anyway, this was released as a single. It got to number seven on the US R&B charts. Pretty much all instruments done by Prince, except on this album, except for some we'll mention when we get to those tracks. But one other thing, which I didn't say at the start, this album has eight tracks, right? Mm-hmm. Four of them were singles. That's 50% of the album. <laughs> now, okay, most of them didn't do much, but still, 50% of the album you know, were singles. That's, it, was, it was trying hard with that. It's like, I'll just keep chucking them out there and see what happens. <laughs> Why not? Yeah, that's all I got to say. Classic. You reminded me of something that I, I was going to mention that what I didn't have in my notes, which was we talk a lot about vanity, but there are another two women in this group. Susan Moonsey and Brenda Bennett. Bennett. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, so you've got Brenda and Susan that are, in effect, the other, you know, part two and part three of this band, but for, they get very little, I guess, credit or discussion, generally speaking, I would, I would say. And vanity's got the lead vocals, obviously. But they're, they're certainly there in the background. But I think the reason why they're not spoken about so much is that they aren't incredibly audible. So even when there's background vocals, it's hard to know where Vanity ends and Brenda and Susan begin. So I 
kind of get the impression that maybe, I mean, those women were in Prince's life at the time and it sounds or appears to me anyway that he needed, you know, two more names and faces basically, but I don't know how much they contribute. Yeah. But I just wanted to point out right? that, that Vanity Six is three women. Yeah. So. My understanding is that he was actually dating Susan Moonsey and it was quite serious. The Vanity mm. thing was more of like the sort of persona. But he was actually dating Susan Moonsey. Well, he definitely dated Vanity as well at some point, so it sounds and pretty of course, low now. We spent half an hour on the first track. As <laughs> usual. <Yeah. laughs> well, one last thing. Something popped into my mind, which is uh the inclusion of this song later in his career. I think he started including it from about two thousand and seven onwards when he started doing the sampler set in uh, in London on his Twenty One Nights in London tour. He started playing snippets of this song or portions of Nasty Girl in the last kind of decade of his life and in the last decade of his life. Never with the vocals. Never with the vocals. That's right, yeah. But other people, people in the audience obviously sang it. But, yeah, you're right. He never played the the normal mix. So he played the instrumental. But the point is he obviously thought a lot of this track to 25 years after its release. Even he must have recognised, you know, that's the classic Minneapolis sound right Mm. there. You play that, you know, 20,000 people are going to lose their brains. Mm. Everyone knows what it is. Plus plus he brought it back for the Hot With You remix too. Exactly. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's it's a track that he's kind of gravitated to in one way or another over time. One other thing we should mention about this track is that it was included in, I think, one of the Eddie Murphy Beverly Hills Cop movies, yeah. I think. Yeah, the first and, one. And Yeah, in like in, a, the, in a club scene or something. Strip club, and a lot of people yeah. know the song because of that reference, because that From movie that. itself was so huge. Yeah. And was this on the um, the Girl Seek soundtrack as well? Yeah, it was, yeah. That was, on, that, was a, that was Spike Lee, wasn't it? Yeah. And that movie wasn't as huge. No. <laughs> <laughs> Let's no. not go there. Wow. <laughs> Straight, to <the> <laughs> Straight to Blockbuster. Although Spike Lee is a fantastic director, but that's not what this show's about. <laughs> so Vanity Six, well, the song certainly got around, didn't it? I think we've covered the first track. I think, I think we have. So let's go into song number two, which is entitled Wet Dream. Obviously, completely done by Prince again. Um, Captain, why don't you lead, lead us off with your review? I can hear you chuckling in the background. I, I don't like the name of the song, but I like the song. It's super pop, you super like wet poppy dream. track. Too close to home? If I can remember <laughs> the last one. Anyway, super poppy track. There seemed to be a few songs like this he wrote around this time, like the vocal lines of this remind me a bit of the verses in Manic Monday. That sounds a bit similar. And that, and then that's similar to 1999 itself. The cool little bass bits at 3.22 and 3.47. Yeah, I like this song. I just try to just forget about the name of it. It's just super pop. And I like pop and this is good. That's all. All right. Player. Yeah, I don't have a lot on this. It's it's a very nondescript song and it's a cute song. Is Vanity like a stalker in this? Like she talks about doesn't she doesn't know his name and got to make him mine and stuff. So it sounds, sounds to me like, like she's kind of like, like a stalker kind of thing. I really like the bridge part leading up to the chorus. The can help it, can help it, ooh, honey, honey. I like that. That's really cool. That sounds really princey. He's um, bringing a bit of that rockabilly into it as well. Mm, 
Yeah, it, it's. I mean, it's a good song, but it's yeah. Coming after Nasty Girl, it, it's it's yeah, it drops right down the ladder kind of thing for me. Album track, yeah. Oh uh, yeah, definitely. All right, Toe Jam. What are your thoughts on this one? I'm pretty much in agreement. I think it's a good little track. I think it works all right after Nasty Girl. There's a bit of country guitar in it, it's got, and that's what I was talking about before. The the whole Vanity and Apollonia thing, as funky as it is, there's a little bit of country in both of them, which I kind of like. And so the country guitars there, sort of emphasizing that. Um, I agree that I really like the what I've called the pre-chorus part, that can't help it, can't help it part. It's very futuristic, that part. The synths have some cool things going on. Then it finishes with a, a cool little bass run, very Larry Graham kind of sort of bass line bit, which is really cool. I'd never noticed before this before until I listened to it this week, and that is at 3 minutes 30, I swear you can hear Prince in the background like calling out something. He's like, hey, or something. He gets into it. I think I'm pretty sure it might be Brenda because she's got slightly a uh, deeper voice, but I'm pretty sure it's Prince. I have listened out to Prince at three minutes 30. Um, and at one point in the song, there's like a, a thundercloud and it starts raining. I'm thinking it's very symbolic and metaphoric for the song. <laughs> um, <laughs> Play was talking about being a stalker. I don't, I don't get the stalker vibe. I think it's more like kind of that high school kind of, you know, you see someone you're like, Ooh, I like them. And, what do you know? <laughs> <laughs> what do you know? You wake up and what do you know? <laughs> it's raining. It's raining sort of and book her in your bed and she's got no head. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't what I was thinking. That's <laughs> just the first thing that popped into going, my head. What can I say? I was more going with the rain metaphor that Toe James. <laughs> 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 oh god it's a good song yeah yeah it's, well i don't know is that was that it Toe jam or did you have more on this one uh, that's pretty much it yeah oh the other thing is the um the drum machine sounds like a different drum machine it sounds like the same drum machine he used for private joy it's and uh maybe any christian it's, it's obviously a different drum machine i don't know my 80s drum machines well enough but it's a different one obviously hmm. well segueing from what you just said about drum machines my the first note that i had about this after i heard it a few times was relentless percussive sounds i didn't have a note about the drum machine being different but i had a note about the drum machine being really propulsive like it's just relentless from the minute this song starts it's like dun, 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 dun. it almost sounds like a um theme show the the musical element of this almost to me sounds like an 80s a bad 80s tv sh- series theme almost akin to like Dolly Parton's nine to five. I think that was in the eighties, wasn't it? I, I don't know why I get that kind of weird vibe, but then, <laughs> but then the lyrics and the theme is like, you know, obviously he's talking about something else or, sh- or vanity is I'd be more into this track. If Prince was singing it from the point of view of a guy and I, that might sound a bit odd, but it'd be a little bit more risque. Whereas this is just like vanity. Basically. I don't know. It's similar to nasty girl, but nasty girl was done in a better way. It was a little bit, more uh, digestible this one's a little bit too obvious i think for my taste but um yeah it's okay it's an album track and yeah i also had a note here that prince makes an appearance on background vocals towards the end of the song but i don't know what he says and i think it's him again i don't have any um evidence to say that it is him but it sounds like a like a manly voice so with that that's it on that one let's go into track number three which is drive me wild Let's go to Toe Jam to lead us off into this one. This is an interesting kind of track. There's no bass, 
uh, or guitar. The drum machine has this flange effect on it. It's very pulsating. Uh, it's kind of a soundscape. The, the album version is is kind of the soundscape. It sort of reminds me a bit of Possessed in the background of Purple Rain. It's got a sort of a bit of a computer blue feel about it. It's that Mixolydian sort of synth that he likes doing. The video version is actually a bit more, it's, a, it's quite longer and it's got a bit more bass and guitar. I kind of wish, I'm not sure if that was ever actually released anywhere, the video version with those extra instruments. Because it's kind of interesting on this one. It's, it's almost a pre-Dove's Cry in the fact that it doesn't have much bass or guitar. It's more is the, just the, the video version the same as the um, single release? The ex- extended sure. version, yeah. Not sure, but I remember seeing the video years later and going, "Oh wow, that song's like it's a lot more filled out now. It's more of a song." And well, he he worked on it. To your point, Toe Jam, he worked on it after this song. He, I mean, normally he releases music and you know doesn't work on it. Generally speaking, he moves on to something else. But months, many months after the single came out. Uh, of Drive Me Wild, which was only like, what, two and a half minutes long or something. He did release a seven, I think a seven or eight minute version on a um, 12 inch. So well, I don't on, know. Yeah, okay. So I want to know if that, I'm assuming that's the same as the video version. Yeah, it is, must be the same. Yeah. It's just over it seven be. minutes. Yeah, it must be. Yeah, but it's kind of interesting on this album though, because it's short and it's it's more like a little poem and soundscape kind of thing. Interesting. Mm. Um, that's all I've got well, to say for that. It's, it's good for what it is. For those of you at home, you may want to make your own... Uh, slightly edited album version seek out the seven minute 12 inch single and put it in place of the uh release single and that'll make the album about five minutes longer and thank hey. uh, you there you this go it's a pretty short album it is a pretty short mm. album yeah you need the full seven minutes um <laughs> uh player what are, your, what are your thoughts of drive me wild yeah i'm the same it's a very robotic song very mechanical aside from those bell chord chimes sprinkled through it it doesn't really deviate from that groove which kind of makes it sound repetitive. It probably was really cutting edge at the time, you know, pre-techno and on all that. So it's another thing that kind of Prince was delving into, maybe, you know, testing the waters through these side projects. But yeah, that version that Tojen was talking about, where, you know, they've got that underlying Oberheim synth bass and that extended version that has some great guitar by Prince on it towards the end. It's kind of like gives it a bit more of the flavor instead of that mechanical beat that kind of drives the um, song. But yeah, it's a cool little track, but it, yeah, only two minutes 30, so it's it's very short and sweet. Yeah, it's not long enough to pique too much interest, I'd say. Although on this show, we have said in, in previous uh, episodes that sometimes Prince has this uncanny ability of putting a lot of ideas and a lot of musical adventure into a small, a shorter song. Uh, shorter length song but uh, this time to me it's almost filler i mentioned the dolly parton nine to five comparison again the same comparison great song that great song (laughs) well better than this that's for sure this to me sounds like um again similar to, to that sort of tv series theme at least musically and um in saying that and as much as i i'll say this is just another album track and almost filler i think Musically, to me, this sounds like the precursor to Automatic. Just with the tempo, when you look at the BPM and just the the propulsion of this, it sounds like the early beginnings of what would end up being Automatic uh, from an instrumental. I think that's what I meant when I I said the computer blue thing. It's got that mechanical robotic thing about it, hypnotic. Mm. Yeah. So, yeah, that's basically it. Oh, the, The last comment I do have here, just on my notes, is 
It sounds like a mix of Devo and Soft Cell. Um, Soft Cell did Tainted Love, didn't they? I think so. Yep. So, um, yeah. yeah, Devo and Soft Cell are my two comparisons to this. And I think he was really going for that sound. That was the kind of music that was around during those years. New so. wave. We don't like. Okay, uh, Captain, go ahead. This song is called Drive Me Wild. Just about every, I think everyone's compared it to another song. So I'm going to say this reminds me something off 1999 album. And I, the closest thing I'm thinking is let's pretend we're married. Yeah. It's more like Just it. Yeah. The beat and not so much. Yeah. The, yeah. That, that song. Um, the same synth the, bass sort of thing. Sort yeah. Because you've got all these digital bass. drums and it's got a really dry vocal sound. And um, the album version, yeah, it's really short and I didn't have that much to say about it. But the 12-inch, that's that's a different thing. It's just over seven minutes long, and um, this is a good song. It's got this really funky guitar and li- all these little synth notes in there. Really long intro. It's um, I think it's almost two and a half minutes before the vocals even start. There's a really cool guitar solo. starts at 4.30, and that takes some, um, some very interesting turns over the next two minutes. And then the whole song ends on just this one long guitar note, and it just keeps going. And, yeah, so you go find the extended version if you can. It's a lot better. And, again, this is, what, two and a half minutes long. The extended version is just over four minutes. Seven. Seven oh nine. Oh, is it? Oh, wow. Big difference. There you go. Triple the length almost. Mm. You need the full seven minutes, as we said. (laughs) All right. So getting to the halfway point of this album, we go into track number four, which is entitled He's So Dull. And I'll just jump in real quick because to me, if there's ever a um, a track that is a candidate for the worst terrible 80s TV theme music, <laughs> this one's it. <laughs> Much more so than Wet Dream and Drive Me Wild because those had a little a little bit of kind of funkiness to them. This I one just is hope Des doesn't listen to this show. Why? Did he write this, did he? Or did he produce and it? produced by Des Dickerson. Well, all I can say is what I just did. And um, <laughs> that's about it. Hi, Des. But- I will say, I will say Don't you that like the one our thing, podcast. <laughs> <laughs> the one thing that this song proved, though, was that it showed that Prince could do this type of music. He could write a run of the mill, and even though he didn't write it, he could play it. He could put it under his name, under the Vanity Six label in this case. But he could put this sort of run of the mill type rock and roll with the best of them, and, and really, at the end of the day. It is another relatively short track. It's a bit of a ditty. <laughs> a ditty. And there's not that, pretty much, there's not, much, not that much more to say about it. It's very childish. That's the other note that I had in, or the other remark I had in my notes. Just kind of the other songs of at least um, Wet Dream is a little bit playful. Nasty Girl is very playful. But this one is pretty much filler to me. It's like, I'll leave it there. <laughs> um, Captain, what are your thoughts on this? This is another great pop track. I knew it. <laughs> and it makes me, knowing that Des wrote it and this is his song, impresses me, you know, for him as a songwriter. Because before I just thought it was another Prince song. And I'm like, eh, for Prince, you know, it's not that great. It's still a good pop track. But then, you know, I'm reading this stuff. I was like, written and produced by Des Dickerson. And I'm like, damn, Des, yeah, that's, a good, that's a good song. But um, I love the little organ in the background of this. You got the big hand claps that come up every now and then. And I think someone's already mentioned this. I think it was Toe Jam. At the start, 
and I always laugh at this lyric, he doesn't even wear blue jeans, and it always reminds me of Prince's comments about blue jeans. But um, this was featured in uh, National Lampoon's Vacation, and that's probably where yeah. most people heard it from, because I'd never heard it anywhere else. Great pop song, big hooky chorus. It's good. It's a good one. And this this one had uh, an extended version as well. This The album version's two and a half minutes, extended version just over four minutes. That might have been what MC was thinking before. Yeah, I got and my songs confused, yeah. The extended version, it doesn't sound like it was then edited down for the album version. It really sounds like the album version was taken and then expanded on to make a longer version. So he, again, he's come back to this track like he did with the other one, what drove me wild, and then played around with it again. But yeah, so there's, I think there's a lot of filler on the on the extended version, but I do like it. It's got a longer section. It's got a solo bass line, which is pretty cool. And that fills out like the middle part of this track. And yeah, you've got Des Dickerson on drums and guitar and written and produced by Des. So good job. Yay. All right. Player, what are your thoughts on uh, He's So Dull? Yeah, it's a cool song and it's catchy, but to me, it doesn't fit musically in the rest of the album. Like, I think, you know, you've got like these other kind of pre-1999 space boogie kind of futuristic-y kind of tracks like Nasty Girl and all that and then you got this which kind of it's kind of like a throwback to more sort of the early 80s Prince like Dirty Mind kind of sound it's like borderline on that kind of era the song reminds me of those early 80s bands like B-52s and the Go-Go's that channel that kind of like a 50s doo-wop sound style and cheesy keyboards and stuff Devo that sort of stuff and yeah, like like Captain said, it was in Vacation Movie. Uh, Nasty Girl was in Beverly Hills Cop. So yeah, like they were really pushing these into like movies, to, into mainstream kind of things. Again, it's a short. It's only two minutes, two and a half minutes. It just doesn't kind of fit for me. It seems like Des wrote it maybe around that Dirty Mind era. I was kind of laying around, and then oh, we need a track to fill in the album. Oh yeah, we've got that one kind of thing. Because yeah, it just the instrumentation doesn't sort of match up with the rest of the album my eyes so but yeah it's 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 a cool song but it's 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 real throwback for me again prince was uh, he was stretching it pretty thin when he's grabbing songs from des to fill out the album Hmm. but just one thing you said player about um pushing these songs into movies it's funny that he did that with these side projects but he didn't really do it with his own music and apart from these early years he never really did it again yeah that's true yeah i mean there's a Hmm. few random things like like what he didn't he put like three nineteen in Showgirls or something and and then you got Girl yeah, Six Song which of the is Heart all, all Prince yeah, music all that. Yeah. but you yeah. know generally he never really went back to putting songs out for movies mm. it's interesting maybe he got burnt like yeah. financially and he's like nah I'm not doing this anymore I don't know like Vacation was a Warner Brothers movie so maybe Warner Brothers thought oh, look, yeah. look, look through their roster yep let's get this song throw it in there I, you know who knows but. You know, maybe it was just a crossover thing to promote their artists. Uh, who knows? But Oh, yeah, possibly. Yeah. But still, he he would have had to give permission for that, you'd think. Who knows? Yeah. Yeah, this was also very early in his career, so could have wanted to get exposure, you know, put my music out as in as many different uh, or through different media to try and get exposure. The other thing is that a lot of his early 80s to mid-80s music was in used in movies, I think, because it was hit music. They were like, these songs were hitting the charts, either in pole position or in the top 10, most of them. And I think this was another example. I mean, this song wasn't, but, you know, a, a, a pop hit, but his music tended to be around this time. So it's like, what's that other movie, Risky Business? Uh, it's, it's got yeah. DMSR in it. So, you know, yeah. 
I, I don't know whether he really wanted he, that to be in the movie or whether or not it was just on, on the he was gaining steam on the as a pop artist to getting a bit more exposure and, and he was probably more well known. So don't know. Interesting. Like uh, I got the impression that maybe Nasty Girl and all that blew up in the clubs, but maybe not got a lot of radio play. So maybe like to get more exposure, they put the songs into movies and stuff to push it a bit more. I don't know. Yeah. Well, one way or one way or another, he was out there in many different forms and uh, the variety of artists that he was that he was producing and writing material for. He was. I mean, this was like peak, starting to peak in the music on the music scene. Uh, Toe Jam. Round I out. I haven't got much more to say. It's a bit more rock than some of the other songs. That's obviously the Dez influence. Uh, again, it's kind of got a bit of a country thing going as well. Country rocks, synth pop. The bass actually moves quite a bit in the chorus. Which is kind of cool. Um, it is very, very TV show though, isn't it? It's it, like you'd really <laughs> imagine that that line being played for like 20 seconds. What, and then the next thing you know, someone walks through a door, like the house door or something. <laughs> <laughs> it's like because that's how every sitcom. 80s sitcom starts someone yeah. walks through a door <laughs> like you imagine this 80s sitcom about vanity you know this sex goddess living with this nerdy white guy kind of thing and it's like that's the, that's the premise of the show like you know the odd couple or something <laughs> i want to watch that show oh i really want to watch that show <laughs> Uh, it's got those. It's got synth bells again. Is that sort of cutesy girl thing? Just like all the songs on this album, it's really aimed at that sort of high school age. Like it's really aimed at like sort of sixteen-year-olds. This whole album, boys and girls, I think. That's you know the whole theme of you know oh he's so dull and you know he's reading science magazines and sometimes I think it's talking about me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't have much more to say about it. It's all right. I mean, I appreciate it for what it is as a as a well-crafted '80s pop song, but I don't really ever feel oh, i need to go listen go back and listen to that song so there's a fair bit of album tracks that we've spoken about really right i mean the huge hit single leads this album off and then the next two or three songs sounds like we're all in agreement that they are um not filler i wouldn't go that far but just album songs yeah yeah no, i don't know except for captain captain's in love with the um pop super pop super pop in a way track number five we're at now this one is entitled if a girl answers don't hang up We've got, a, we got a, a bit of a laughter from Player, so I'll hand it over to him to lead us off into this. Yeah, I really like this song. This is probably my second favourite on the album. Uh, it's funny and funky. It's a great instrumental. Like, if you just listen to the music on its own, it's it's awesome to listen to. The bass is great. Got a lot of that plucking and thumping in it. The synth's really cool as well. And the telephone sound effects that they got in it. It's really cool. I mean, even the lyrics, it's more like wordplay. It's clever and it's funny. And some of it plays out like a rap. So it's like he's come up with this great concept of a rap on one hand, a clever rap. And then he's paired it with a, like a funky instrumental. He's brought the two together. I could take either. Like the rap's cool on its own, but I could easily just listen to the music on its own. It's it's really, 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 really funky. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, it's cool. And like I said, the rap, it's not a rap rap per se, but it's kind of a rap of the era so like if you listen to like the raps who are coming out around that time they sort of sound a bit like this so it is a clever concept that he's kind of paired with this funky instrumental it's really good all right toe jam give us your thoughts i think this is probably my second favorite track as well just because it's 
like it's just a funk workout. It is really quite funny the first few times you listen to it, but I often find with these kind of songs where the main emphasis is the the gag is that the gag, once you've heard it a few times, it, that really starts to wear thin. And I would really love to hear just an instrumental version of this song. Of course, we've got Prince in there playing the, obviously, the gay male on the other end of the phone. And he's, he's doing that. That's the way I've always heard it. Oh, well, this, you know, I don't know, bisexual other. <laughs> I heard it as, as him playing as a woman, kind of like competing with vanity. Okay. I've always heard it as like a gay guy. No, I thought it was a woman as well. <laughs> I'll have to go back and have another, listen, have another listen. But anyway, it's fun. It's funny. The phone call sound, that actual sound. My name on this show is Toe Jam. And if anyone doesn't know, it's from the old Mega Drive, Sega Mega Drive game, Toe Jam and Earl. They used to have that exact same sound in, in that game. <laughs> the idea is when you hear that sound, you've got to go find the phone. And then when you, when you find the phone, it opens up more of the map. And so to me, every time I hear that sound in this song, I'm like, oh, it's Toe Jam and Earl. I've got to go find the, find the map and find the phone. <laughs> <laughs> is, this the, old... is this officially the first time that you have revealed the source of your name on Patreon? No. Uh, no, you mentioned uh, it before. Okay. I think it goes a little bit too long. Uh, it's, the last couple of minutes are just sort of instrumental and it sort of goes a bit too long, I think. Um, but actually, this song is the first chance, I think, that Brenda gets a real sort of shining moment when she takes over the phone call. And I've written here, I call it the Brenda intervention. And she really goes to task <laughs> on this on this guy yeah. at the other end, you know. Go and, buy, go and buy you a brand new face. Well, that's probably my funniest, the funniest line. You know, the rap is kind of pretty cheesy. They, you, they, you can tell they're kind of reading it and it's not quite flowing. It's, it's certainly not like, they're not high-class rappers, the three girls. <laughs> or Prince, for that matter, as well. <laughs> like, <laughs> they, they sort of rush their verses a bit and then they have to sort of pull it back to sort of stay in time a bit. Like, uh, it's, it's kind of fun in that sense. It's kind of cheesy. It's not taking itself too seriously. Funky music, funky bass, funky drums. Yeah, there we go. All right, all right, all right. Captain, what do you think? This, it's rap. This is rap. Prince did rap <laughs> on this album. <laughs> I'm saying it. It's got funky, oh, you've all said it. It's got funky bass and guitar all over the place. Great Prince cameo. This is a bloody hilarious track. There's not that much to say about it. You just need to listen to it and laugh your head off. That's, that's all you need to do. My favorite line in this comes after why don't you just tie a mattress to your back and then Prince says I'm going to need it because if I ever see your face again I'm going to fall and have a heart attack it's just the funniest line mm-hmm. and I just laugh my head off every time I hear it and I think there's cowbell on this track I might be wrong but it sounds like cowbell yeah to me. there is yeah and it's great go and listen to it and laugh but you can't like Toe Jam said you, you can't listen to it all the time just listen to it like once a year and that's enough for you to forget and then listen to it again and it's like hilarious again it's definitely got that um, chlorine bacon skin. Oh, uh, yeah. What's, what's the other song that's related to that one? That? Tricky. Tricky. That's the one. Yeah, it's got, it's got mm. that same sort of drums and bass feel. Like just, I don't know, Prince and Morris in the studio. I don't know if it is Prince and Morris, but that's what it sounds like. Classic. Yeah. I, I think, think this is the favorite, my favorite song on this album. More than the super pop. Because it's just hilarious. And that wins. <laughs> hilarious wins over super pop. It does on this on this one. Well, it was co-written by Terry Lewis, so Prince and Terry Lewis wrote it supposedly. I but take yeah. that to mean he came up with the baseline. I take it. Sounds, sounds like it. Cool. Sounds like it. I could uh, just imagine those two sitting there writing these lyrics back and forth to each other. That'd, that'd be, be hilarious. That would be I need really that funny. original demo. I need to hear it now. Well, you <laughs> can imagine how funny, or not funny, how 
lively the recording sessions for this probably were because you know you you can't walk into into the booth or whatever or sit in front of the, the mic in the studio and just like buster keaton you know poker face sing this into the mic or talk this into a microphone <laughs> you would be cracking up before and after they recorded this i reckon i would love to know how many takes it took because i there's no way that this was a one take wonder with no one bursting out laughing in the middle of it i like to think they would have had to have been having a lot of fun on this you know when prince goes into that tricky or jamie star voice or whatever you want to call it it's just hilarious thinking about it now like this song is terry lewis and prince you don't you can't get any funk like 80s like pop minneapolis sound that's yeah, it yeah exactly yeah. it's like those guys are like you know gods of the minneapolis sound mm. they are yeah so I'm in agreement with a lot of what you guys have said and pretty much word for word have taken my thoughts that I had down on paper. It's hilarious. Uh, it's time-like in the sense that it's like the time, the band, the, their music from the early 80s. Funky, ma- massively funky groove. It's basically just a jam and um, you've got these popping, bopping bass thumps, cheesy phone rings, sloppy funk drum hits by Prince. You know, guitar strums that remind me a little bit of the, um, actually, they remind me a lot of the rhythm guitar in 1999, the song. If you listen to the rhythm guitar in this uh, and then the yeah. rhythm guitar in 1999, mm-hmm. it's practically identical, which is kind of cool because it sounds like you just lifted this rhythm guitar it track. similar, yeah. Replayed well, it's it. That, and it's that Mixolydian thing that he has at this era, like keeps those songs mm-hmm. play on the, the major third to the fourth and that sort of suspended to the you know, tension and release kind of sound on those two notes. He does it so much in this 82 to 85 era. Like Let's Go Crazy does it, 1999 does it, Manic Monday does it, this song does it. There's so many of them. This is typical guitar playing, isn't it, around this, around this early 80s period. And the drums, if the guitar sounds like the guitar in 1999, the song, the drums on this remind me of Irresistible Bitch more than anything else. They're really, really similar as well. Oh, so yeah. I wonder, I wonder, did he was this recorded before or after? I believe Irresistible Bitch came after this track. So um, that's you could make cool. an album like a little EP. This Irresistible Bitch, Tricky, Chlorine, Bacon, Skin. That's like a little yeah. four four songs that are sort of family together. <laughs> yeah, that'd be cool. Sounds like a Rob S. Re- resequence project. What do you think? <laughs> oh, don't start. Oh, here we go. <laughs> yeah, press it on vinyl. Sell it for four hundred dollars. Off you go. <laughs> So yeah, this is this is brilliant. Well, but I agree with you. Irresistible. <laughs> you got to listen to this, as Captain said, once a year, and then fi- it's like the best stand-up comedy. You know, like you won't listen to stand-up routines from Billy Connolly or George Carlin or whatever, like every day, because you, you get tired of them. But if you, you give can't them watch Delirious break, by Eddie Murphy. Yeah, well, actually, exactly. you probably could watch that once a week. Come to think of it, maybe, yeah. <laughs> but, it's, but maybe. it's better not to. Maybe once a month. Oh, yeah, you're right. It's like you go away. It's like the cracker, actually the cracker skit that Eddie does in that, or the cookie skit I think he does. Is it in Delirious or Raw? Anyway, I'm getting off track. But, you know, once you've had too much of a good thing. I'll say something blasphemous. I prefer Raw to Delirious. Even though Delirious was way more of a hit, I like Raw way more. That's (laughs) (laughs) You can hear more of Captain's ramblings about Eddie Murphy's stand-up comedy movies. It's the Paisley leather suit, isn't it? <laughs> it could be. In our Eddie Murphy podcast, it'll come out later <laughs> this year. <laughs> yeah, so that's basically it. Definitely one of my favorites on this album as well. And a really, really, really cool track that uh, is just really funny to listen to. After this, we go into song number six. It sounds like you're about to throw to a commercial break. Coming up <laughs> after this. Uh, after the weather will be the continuation of the Peach and Black podcast, track number six. If you can call it a track, two words, 
makeup. Yeah. Captain, take it away. Uh, this also sounds like something on the 1999 album, but I haven't figured out what. It's just that you. sound. Something in the water. Yeah, you oh, beat me to yeah. it. Oh, yeah. Okay, then. I couldn't figure out what it was. Could be that. Now, this song is such a short track. It is 2 minutes 39, and it for such a short track, it's got almost 30 seconds of it's a really long intro for a short song. But there's pretty much nothing to this track. It's got a lid drum beat, and it's got a fast and low synth line, and then we hear different makeup items, just like reading a list. It's just, I don't know what this song is. Again, this is just, this is probably the worst one on here. This is just total filler. You're talking about album tracks. This is total filler. This is, I'm not even going to say this is just a song. Like MC said at the start, it's, is it even a track? I don't know. It's just like a shopping list for makeup. It's, um, it's not good. (laughs) This was not a great song. That's all I got to say. Okay. Well, I was just going to say, because I've got very few notes on this. I pretty much. What can you say? I pretty much agree with everything you just said, other than I was going to suggest that or ask the question, is this Prince's makeup routine? Basically, <laughs> basically, is this Prince's makeup routine put to a beat? <laughs> That's what it sounds Possibly. like. <laughs> basically, Purple. he's like, he's I want to make it good for you. <laughs> <laughs> he's applying his makeup in the mirror. He's like, I want to make a song out of this. Um, <laughs> that did not sound like Prince at all. <laughs> yeah. And the programming here, my last little note is the programming reminds me a lot of uh, something in the water don't compute, does not compute, and purple music. It reminds me of purple music as well. Hearing that? The Freedom Galaxy. Yes. Welcome to the Freedom Galaxy. Welcome to Player's Review. Player, what do you think about makeup? Yeah, I'm kind of with Captain. It's another mechanical kind of song. The hi-hat of the Lindrum. Ooh-wee, that's that's nasty. I love it. (laughs) Um... The basic keys sound like a precursor to I Would Die For You, for me. Just the kind of the speed of it, the way it kind of goes. And the lyrics, if you call it that, are more like, just like <laughs> words and phrases to a rhythm. I think, I think we're all in agreement of that. But yeah, It's not it's, his finest lyrical moment, let's say that. Yeah. It's a uh, makeup filler, this. Yeah. Putty. It's putty filler. Yeah, yeah it fills the cracks. On that note. It fills up the album. On that note, Toe Jam, round, round out this round I out kinda, I, of this review. I actually kind of like this one. I think it's really interesting. <laughs> um, it's a really interesting, like, moving synth bass line. It's very stop-start. It, it made me get yeah. a little... <laughs> but I definitely put this in the same family as, like, in terms of that big bass, snare, bass, rest. Boom. Ching. Boom. Yeah. Like... Heaps of songs he like throughout his career. He's used that sort of idea. Baby, I'm a star. New world, strange but true. Something in the water has it. Um, some of my favorite songs in there. And this is like one of those little baby sister songs to that sort of sound with all the fluttery hi hats from seven 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 ninety three eleven etc. Uh, this definitely has that sort of computer blue feel in terms of the mood that it's getting across. You know, she sings a race, and it's sort of this like deranged woman putting on this. Crazy makeup. That's the way I hear it. 
Um, Putting on the clown is... makeup to go and kill some people. <laughs> 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 what is going on in my brain? I'm listening to this album. I don't Clockwork know. Orange by Bang. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, by Captain Six. <laughs> Similar I don't to even drive want to know me. What the six stands for. Don't, don't even, don't even entertain it. <laughs> Body count. <laughs> um, yeah, there's a bit of slapback delay on the vocals. Again, it's this kind of weird effect, and uh, you got this crazy around the world in the day sort of synth key solo going on at the end. There's a lot to like about this track. There's a lot in it. It's interesting that the two songs on this album that feature Susan Moonsey, Drive Me Wild, and this one, they're both kind of like these little poems and, and soundscapes. <laughs> I thought you were going to say the songs featuring Sus- Susan Moonsey, Drive Me Wild. That's the way that came <laughs> <laughs> No, but it's interesting the way that she gets the kind of more experimental songs, whereas Vanity gets the more uh, pop songs. It's interesting. Uh, have I got anything else on here? Yeah, I mean, the play on the words of make up. It's, yes, she's putting on literally mm. makeup, but it's make up it's almost like this person's living this fantasy world like i'm making up my life kind of thing i, I think it's an interesting song there's, there's more going in and on in this song than you guys have potentially realized <laughs> fix your life <laughs> up maybe it, maybe it does get a little bit that that because that bass is moving so much it does get a little bit repetitive by the end <laughs> yeah so there we go make up go back and re-listen all okay. right may have to do that May have to do that. Track number seven is Bite the Beat. Who's a fan of this one? <laughs> well, I'll, I'll go. Okay, <laughs> Jeff, go first. I'm going to go first because I don't have much. It's a bit 70s. It has that sort of B-52s, yeah. uh, that organ sound. Um, I've also said it's got a bit of a Dirty Mind. Wow, what have I written here? Great Riff, Dirty Mind Era. What's the riff of this song again? Oh, the organ. Yeah, the, the stabbing organ kind of thing. This is obviously the Brenda Bennett song that she gets featured on. <laughs> Can they you have to give her one. <laughs> Can you imagine showing this to your kid like when he's at the age of discovering what his parents once did when they were before? And here you go, son. I once was on a song about oral sex that Prince produced. So. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, that would be kind of cool to find out. <laughs> um, In that way, yeah. I've written Rock Lobster. It's very Rock Lobsterish. I think I said that already. I just wanted to talk about, there's a really interesting story which you can find online about when Brenda Bennett, because obviously when the Apollonia thing kind of fell apart in 80, probably not long after the movie, really, you know, they all sort of went their own separate ways. They all ended up having kids and families and this kind of thing. And then in 2004, Brenda and Susan got back together as friends and they went to one of the musicology shows. And apparently... You know, they're trying to contact all the people backstage saying, hey, can we get in with Brenda and Susan from you know, Apollonia and Vanity? And they couldn't find anyone. Anyway, eventually they got in and Prince found out they were there and, and they ended up going to a few different shows and Prince invited their kids to come along and watch the shows and everything. It's a really cool story from someone who was there in the day, like 82, doing all this stuff and then went on to do something else completely with their life and then had that moment of, you know, coming back and kind of repaying it all for their kids and everything it's a really cool story if you can find that i forget where i got it i think it was a radio interview that was transcribed i don't know if you if you google brenda bennett interview 2004 i'm sure you'll find it it's really interesting that's a bit off topic from the song but yeah that's my review okay captain are you loving this beat bite the beat i i don't i don't 
you've and, you've just summed up your review. <laughs> yeah. Until I knew what the name of this song meant, I thought it was a cool name for a track, and now I think just no. You know, there's pushing the envelope, and there's just there's just something else. I don't there's know. Pushing the envelope, and then there's choking <laughs> on a guitar string. <laughs> oh, wow. It's, Played by played by Jesse Johnson, I might add. <laughs> but I like I really like the sound of this track. It's so poppy, happy. Uh, it's got an interesting chord progression in the chorus. That's interesting. There's a cool keyboard solo at one thirty two, and there's like a solo bass thing at two eighteen. That's good. And yes, Jesse Johnson on guitar, keyboards, and bass in this song. Lots of Jesse Johnson here. He was biting the beat on this one. Mm. Seems that way. But I like the song again, not not the title itself. But that's a small thing. Would would um would Brenda be impressed when she saw your teeth? <laughs> that's one of the lyrics. Oh, that's not good. <laughs> All right, play it. This sounds like a dirty mind left over to me. I, my notes are pretty much word for word like Toe Jam's. It has a 1980s sound to it. B52s, Rock Lobster, Devo kind of sound to it. Um, I got a got to stop messing about vibe as well to it and the only other thing that i've got to note here which is interesting to my ears is the bass sounds like it's played with a pick to me which is kind of interesting yeah well that's jesse could be yeah so yeah but there's nothing much here beat filler move on nothing (laughs) nothing here folks is that it yeah 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 beat filler filler brings the whole new You guys have been talking a lot about B-52's Rock Lobster and all that kind of stuff. And I I was thinking the same thing. But another few bands and tracks came up in my mind. The direct comparison to a Prince song that came out a year earlier, to me this sounds a little reminiscent in some parts to Ronnie Talk to Russia from an instrumental perspective. And then non-Prince related, I I feel a bit of a uh, pretender's influence. And also, if anyone's familiar with Roxy Music, they've got a song called uh, Do the Strand. And there are elements, musical elements in this song that are quite similar to Do the Strand from my standpoint. But I do agree, there's not a whole lot here. It's like, it's okay and probably there just to fill the album. The best part of this whole song is Jesse Johnson, I think. I mean, his guitar playing is cool. As you guys mentioned, he plays bass and keyboards but as well. But uh yeah, he's probably the highlight of this for me. Another album track. It's interesting that on this album, he's he's allowed Des, Jesse Johnson, and Terry Lewis to play a bit more of a prominent role. I guess it is kind of it's not a strictly a Prince album, so he's okay with letting some of those other guys take some of the producing and playing roles. Yeah, and with the time as well, right? Like he had that opportunity not only with this but with that other project to give other people the spotlight or play around with it. So yeah, interesting. Interesting. And in saying that, we get to the last song on this record, which is track number eight, three times two equals six. Good to know that that Prince's um, basic arithmetic was on point (laughs) in the early 80s. (laughs) I'll leave it there. We don't need to it's talk bit, about any. It's a, it's a bit more complex than one plus one plus one is three. So that's just <laughs> yeah. multiplication time. Actually, that'd be a good idea for a uh, Rob S album. There's another EP. Yeah, yeah, another another EP. A um, 
Song titles seven, that contain numbers. 17 seven, seven, days. 777. Seven, ah, seven, we'll, seven. we'll do that. We've got, to, we've got to put that all together. Yeah, all the numbers. Yeah, good one. Put the Madhouse album on. Oh, yeah. <laughs> there you go. It's Love already it. been done. <laughs> <laughs> okay. The album closer. Three times two equals six. Mr. Pojam. Uh, this is a boring track. This is potentially one of my what? least favorite Prince songs. Like, Ooh, I'm, let's count what? it as a Prince song. This is oh, one of my least favorite no. Prince songs of all time. I there almost never listen to it. We've, <laughs> we've tried to do this album review a few times, and every time I've tried to listen to it, I skip this track. It is what? one of the most skippable Prince songs I've ever heard. It's three minutes. There's three minutes before the chord progression changes. The vocals are way too soft in the background. The drums are average. It's got this <laughs> descending synth thing that just goes on for ages. It's boring. This song is, is boring. The only wow. good thing, the only good thing in the song is there is some good guitar playing throughout it by Prince, obviously. Yep. And it sort of it has the same sort of thing that the Apollonia 6 album has on In a Spanish Villa. I think it also finishes with a you know sort of soaring guitar solo track. But, I mean, this, this song sucks. It's boring. I'll leave it there. It's, it's, a, it's a bit of a downer. It's a downer to a, an otherwise interesting pop album. <laughs> a downer. Wow. Debbie Downer. I was not expecting that. I've, I've never been able to comprehend what they're even singing about. It's just, I don't know. <laughs> female, three times two equals six. Oh, rubbish. <laughs> okay. Uh, player. Player. No, maybe you should go to Captain. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Let's see uh, if there's a even contrasting. It out. Well, oh. I don't know. Is there a contrasting view, or uh, have you I've got, got some to stop laughing first? Captain? Okay. This song. Okay. Here's I'm going to read the notes that I've written, but then I've got new things to add to that. So I'll d- read what I wrote again. The first time I listened to this album after at least ten years, probably. Oh no, the obligatory ballad. This is not a song I want to hear again. <laughs> That's how I <laughs> the feel. The music. The music is very average. The vocals are just bad. There's Dickers on drums. I don't have much to say about this. I don't want to end this review on this track. Can't we somehow end with a positive? <laughs> There's a cool little, cool few little notes on the guitar, on the outro, and that's what I wrote. But after listening to it just two or three times, out of pretty much every song on this album, this is the song that's stuck in my head. It just pops in there out of nowhere, like at probably once every couple of days. It's not always a good thing. No, it is. It is. Like, even the people who write those annoying ads and jingles and stuff, if it gets stuck in your head, job done. That was the goal. It happened. It might be rubbish, but mission accomplished. That's a catchy tune, whether you like it or not. And I... (laughs) That's what a vocal sounds like. It's terrible. It is not a great vocal, but the song just keeps coming into my head. At least probably two or three times a week. So I've got to give credit for that. It's not Two a great times, song. Three times a week. So it goes into your head six times a week. Pretty much. Pretty much. <laughs> One in each year. It's... <laughs> but One yeah, for each it's... side of the face. <laughs> <laughs> this song, it's not great. But as in writing a catchy hook, job done for me anyway. All right. Play, are you ready? Are you composed? Are you breathing? to add your your remarks to be honest with you I don't have any like apart from the guitar in the background which is awesome I've only got one note on this song and I've written Sleepy Ballad that's all I've got because 
I'm pretty much with you guys. Like it's there's nothing there. It's it's a pretty disappointing way to end the album. You know, if they were going to put this track, they should have slotted it somewhere, maybe in the middle. But it should have ended on a better way than this one. So, <laughs> um, yeah, I got nothing on this because yeah, there's nothing there for for me. <laughs> I just had an idea, actually. How how long is this album? Just over 31 minutes. And it ends with this sleepy song, like Player said. Was this album intended to be listened to while you're doing the deed? And that's why it, that's why it ends with a sleepy cleaning, song. Cleaning, that's time to go to sleep now. That, that, that's, that just came when Player said a sleepy song. Doing the garden. That's it. It's doing the garden, honey, isn't it? Uh, honey, honey, what's the matter? What is this rubbish music? <laughs> cleaning the pool? It's just wow. a thought. Because it wouldn't be the first album that he sort of designed the track flow with that idea in mind. Sending musical flow, things getting lower and less interesting. (laughs) Rolling over and falling asleep. (laughs) (laughs) And you know, the funny thing is, is, it's almost the longest song on the album. Just by a few seconds, it misses out. So it's meant to, yeah, this is the go to sleep song. You've, You've had all your fun and now it's bedtime. That's it. I I cracked the code. I figured it out after all these years. It's years before Madonna did did something similar. I couldn't disagree with you guys more. (laughs) That was my (laughs) musical interlude to say that you guys are crazy. You guys are crazy. Yeah, he's so dull and makeup and wet dream and all that kind of stuff is kind of album track filler. This is a great album closer from beginning to end. <laughs> Easily. Sell it to us. Sell it to and us. Come on. Now, I'm not suggesting this is an amazing song, but I think it's a really good album closer because it sums up the album and it concludes it in the best possible way. What? Here's my explanation. I'm trying to think of a better about. way to conclude this album. No, no, this is perfect. <laughs> this is to, to your ro- rolling over and going to sleep line from earlier. This is exactly what this does. Like it brings everything down. It goes into that dreamy soundscape. In fact, in fact, I cannot. I repeat, I cannot believe that. Although Toe Jam doesn't really like this song and doesn't believe it has many mu- musical merits, or, or otherwise for that matter. I cannot believe that this doesn't make your second or third tier dream songs list. Like, surely. It's got, it's got all the elements. Oh, like a nightmare. No, but seriously. There's but seriously. a clown the on, the on this album. On again. It is scary. The, the dream song on this album is makeup. That's the dream song. That's got interesting. No, this is the album. I, I don't think I've ever actually got to the end of this track. Even just doing the review before, I, I don't think I've ever got it to the end. I get like, Four minutes in, I'm like, I'm done. <laughs> and off you go to sleep. Well, I think this is a perfect album Mission closer. accomplished. The, this, here's the summary, right? Here's my explain nutshell it all. summary Clarissa, explain it all. of why I think this is not only a great album closer, but also a good song. In the context of this album, after everything else that we've heard, this is basically, in my opinion, an audible version or an audible creation of Prince's wet dream. It's basically it. It's like someone mentioned earlier, like, is this the song that you put on when you do the deed? Well, I'm not going to go that far. No, not the song, the the entire album. Well, the album, possibly. But this song as well, I mean, it kind of evokes that dreamy landscape that really 
kind of half cheesy, half surreal, half sexy. Whereas you can't have three halves, can you? Um, <laughs> but, I think you uh, can put this song on even after 10 seconds, someone would say, what the hell is this crap? Depends <laughs> who's in the room. This is my whole point. It depends who's in the room because if Brenda, Susan, and Vanity were all in the same room with Prince on the night that he played this, I'm telling you, it was on. Something was going down that night. <laughs> That's well, what I'm getting get at more like, often. This Fuck is a me. filthy this is a filthy track. It's kinda it's sneaky in its <laughs> perverseness. That is my summary. It is sneaky in how perverse and how perverted this song is. Three times two equals six. I think by the end of this show, everyone who's listening knows what we're talking about here. And this is Prince's Oral spent A U R A L. I hope I got the spell- spelling right. Uh, wet dream. That's basically what it is. He's like in this sexual haze of coming down from the first seven tracks Hang on of this a second. record. I don't listen to the lyrics much on this song, but uh, my understanding is that the song is kind of about like, you know, women being treated unfairly and then them having to stick together and they're a team and it's not really what you're on about. Oh, I don't listen to the lyrics. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's my line. It's 2017. I'm going with Captain. I'm sick of this stuff. I just want to listen to the music for, for once. I have to admit that I haven't been paying attention to the lyrics on this song. I just think like the, the vibe that this evokes is MC's really good. spent by this time, yeah. To close the album. I'm, I'm ready for a, you know, a shower and a cigarette by That's the end great. of the song. <laughs> so, I don't care what any of you say. This is a great band performance by one guy who lives in Minneapolis. <laughs> this is a great band performance. By it's Prince. Okay, it's okay, MC. It's good to know that you can share friends. <laughs> That's I thought this was a safe area. This was a safe zone, wasn't it? I'm allowed to share my... Thousands of listeners. This show's not going out, right, guys? <laughs> so, wait, wait. Just this... you wait the next few days. It'll be like, hey, Captain, can you edit out that bit? <laughs> <laughs> I read the lyrics. This isn't right. I was going to say my entire review of that last track. (laughs) (laughs) There's some nice classic rock drumming on this. So um, props to to Des Dickerson, who I recently found out was actually drumming on this track. I was going to give Prince props, but the props go all the way to Des. And uh, I think it's just a really nicely put together conclusion to the album. Look, I'm not saying this is an amazing track itself, but in the context of the album, after some album tracks, it's good. It's good. I like it. It evokes some good feelings and some, um, some interesting imagery. And obviously, I have to reacquaint myself with the lyrics of this song. Maybe I'll give you my thoughts on that offline another day. But at the moment, yeah, I like this. And I have to say, the first time I actually listened to this song in full was when Prince uploaded or shared this track. I want to say when he had the MPG Music Club. Do you guys remember that? He shared this. I I can't remember whether it was MPG Music Club or whether it was 3121, but it was one of those two websites. For some reason, he just- pool room. There's like a pool. Yeah, that's it. And this track was streaming. So I think it was MPG MC. And uh, that's when I really, really thought, oh, there's something more to this or less as per the other three guys on this show. But um, yeah, that's basically all I've got. And with that, we come to the end- to the conclusion of this relatively short album. Where MC's going to give his score out of 10. No, never, <laughs> never again am I doing that. But three I will bo- say three that- Three times two is six, that's it. 
<laughs> six out of ten. That's it, guys. We we came to the end of this of this record, the first and only Vanity Six album project. And uh, oh yeah, I'm spent. Someone say yes, something. I'm say, spent. It is a bit of a shame that the Apollonia Six album was such an obvious, like you know, the Purple Rain, the movie was in production, Vanity's in it. It's going to be another Vanity Six album, and then there's obviously some conflict between Vanity and Prince over who knows what really. And then the next thing you know, it's Apollonia 6. And it, it, it's such a shame that it, it always seemed kind of obviously contrived, the Apollonia thing. And obviously, that's nothing against Apollonia, the person. It's not her fault. But it's kind of a shame that she didn't just stick around for Purple Rain era. Yeah. She, she kind of missed out. She missed yeah. out on that Purple Rain money. Oh, well. That was it. Conclusions, guys. So at the end of this album review session, what is everyone's thoughts? How are, we, how are you guys treating this album? Yeah, I think this Prince album canon. still stands as a good once every few years listen. Maybe every two or three years, just listen to it once. That's good. But yeah. I'll tell you, when I was writing my notes, when I was listening to it for the review, I can't remember which song it was. It might have been the one where I heard, you know, there's some song, you, we think it's Prince, you hear him doing some backing vocals, and it just hit me. They're both not here anymore. And that was just a weird, a weird moment. Because I think it was in like this, you know, this poppy song. And then that just like sadness thing just goes bang. And I'm like, oh, yeah. But anyway, someone else talk because we can't end the show on that. Well, I wasn't thinking of that until you said it. But yeah, it is kind of obvious now that you mentioned it. Yeah. Someone else say something positive. Well, again, again, not forgetting the other two who, (laughs) which I just did. Susan and Brenda. Yay. They're still here. (laughs) God, this is the worst (laughs) ending ever. Uh, I'll just say, you know, it's fun for what it is. It's not flawless. There's, it could have been a lot better, I guess. It's a shame that like none of the songs really compare to the first track. For me, I could probably scrap the last two tracks. I pretty rarely listen to those last two tracks and and have it more like a vanity EP kind of thing, or even like a you know a best of this and the Apollonia one would make a, a half decent album. But as it stands, it's it's hard to score it more than like a five, really five and a bit maybe. Oh yeah, I forgot about a score. Oh, let me think. Play it. My overall thoughts is I always saw these songs as Prince singing from a female perspective. I think up until this time, you know, he was dancing that line of androgyny and, you know, he was a male artist, but he had this kind of female vibe about him. And if he sang these songs himself, (laughs) I don't know how that would have gone down for him. So, you know, he's (laughs) used these songs as an outlet, as specifically for a girls group. And clearly Nasty Girl is the strongest track. And then, you know, other songs are sort of being drafted in to fill it out. It's a great project. It's it's a shame that it didn't sort of go further and evolve and all that sort of stuff. But you know, it's a, it's a great sort of early early eighties funk album. I would rate it maybe same maybe five or six because purely it's it's really the strength of the, the first track and then you've got all the other kind of songs that go along with it. I'm gonna say five and a half. I'm in the middle there. I was just going to add that the concept of Prince writing songs from a female point of view is something that he continued to do for the rest of his career as well. Like Bria Valente mm. album is that. A lot of the Andy Arlo album is that. You know, even potentially some of the, uh-oh, what's her name? The last girl that released the the album. Judith Hill. Oh, Judith, Judith Hill, Hill. Yeah, yeah. The Tamar and the Judith Hill thing. Like, it's something he continued to do throughout the rest of his career. It's interesting. Well, Carmen, Maite, Jill Jones. I mean, even some of Sheila's stuff. Potentially, so yeah. The the only comment, the extra comment that I really would make is that, and it goes back to what I said really early on before we started talking about the songs themselves, is in the context of everything else that he was releasing around this time. Even though this came out first, 
prior to the second time album and Prince's 1999. It is pretty solid, relatively solid album, if that makes sense, considering everything that happened just before and just afterwards. So, you know, obviously it was a reasonable or a modest success based predominantly on the single, as you guys have all said. But it is, there's enough here to, as Captain said, come back every couple of years and have a bit of fun with it. This is by no means his best vanity project. <laughs> and I'm using that word as a pun because obviously there was only one vanity album, or vanity six album. You know, he, he really solidified himself in writing for other artists and associated artists, you know, two or three, four years after this point. So for a first attempt, pretty good. But then again, it's it was just vanity, like copying Prince's Guide track, you would imagine, right? Mm. Let's not forget that Prince is only 24 at this point. It's pretty crazy. <laughs> yeah, he would have just turned 24 a few months before this came out, eh? Craziness. It's crazy when you think he's done this project, The Times' second album and 1999 double album. Yeah. The age of 23, 24. That's crazy. Plus, probably it was the start of, you know, putting together Purple Rain or whatever. You know, there's a lot going on at this period. So mm. Prolific would be an understatement. Prolific would be an understatement. And with that... Who, who, much- who does that? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You who know, does the, that? The, the sad answer to that is now nobody. Well, now definitely no one, yeah. Even back then, there was only a handful of artists that were as prolific as him or, or anywhere, you know, close to being as prolific as him. But now you're right. I'm, there's a, no I'm, one. Sure, there's, I'm sure there's some fancy new guy or girl, and but I'm not interested. So <laughs> don't bother like telling me on Twitter, oh, this guy does it. I don't care. It's over now. It's, <laughs> it's all over. over. It's all, it's all over. over. What a great way to finish the the show and the episode review. But no, look, I really don't know what else we could say. It's this really one's good. for Denise. Yeah, there you go. For Denise Matthews and um, for the other two ladies, Brenda and uh, Susan, and for Prince, all of whom came together to create this this record. So and if Jesse, you haven't heard and, it, and Des and Terry. Right. And Jamie Starr. <laughs> and Jamie Starr. Just to finish all off. credit to Jamie Starr. A Jamie Starr production. And for anyone that hasn't heard this album, which is, it's fair to say that probably not all Prince fans have heard this. Uh, there's just so much material that he's released. So if you haven't, go and check it out. It's worth worth it. If mm. only for three times two equals six, it's worth it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know where you'll actually find the album, though. It's um, it's nowhere to be found. Print. Yeah. yeah. I, think, I actually think I've got this one on vinyl as well. Oh, you can send it over to MC to listen. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I do, actually. This is one of the few ones. I didn't know you had a record player. I don't. <laughs> Wait till you well, hear three times two sense. equals six on vinyl. Oh, well, it makes wow. perfect sense that you have the vinyl. Maybe fifteen or twenty Prince vinyls. Then, like a lot of them are just stuff that I've found randomly over years. And one of them, I just lucky to find this. I think. Have you got Rave on vinyl? No. Has it even released oh. on vinyl? Whoa! Called the law. There Hello. we go. Yeah, he's definitely masturbating. Like- <laughs> All right, guys, we've been caught. We've been caught. Pacing by police are outside the front of our house. We heard you three times two. It's a crackdown. It's a crackdown. It's a crime. It's a crime. Two to times two that. equals four. All four <laughs> podcast members. We got to go. We definitely got to get out of here, guys. Thanks for listening. It's been another exclusive, non-exclusive, exclusive episode of the Peach and Black podcast. For 2017, brought to you by Podbean. <laughs> Let us see. 
<laughs> and Durex the letter V, yeah, for this episode. <laughs> 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 hello, hello, hello. 